new lead pastor uh, and his wife, uh, Gareth and Jenny Gilpin. Would you help me welcome them to the stage? Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Uh, tell everybody here and online and everyone, just give us a, a quick story of, uh, of your journey, how you got to Oregon and, uh, and all that, and then we'll, uh, I have yeah. a few other questions I'm going to ask. Yeah, well, if you're sitting comfortably, once upon a time. No, <laughs> kidding. Uh, so uh, I actually am originally from Ireland and uh, August. It's actually, you know, I was thinking about this first service. Um, this weekend was the week that I moved to Oregon 30 years ago from Ireland. Which is crazy, 30 years. I don't look that old, right? <laughs> but it's true. I was. It's funny, I didn't tell you the story, but uh, when, I, uh, when I got the text after, because we were pretty, as a staff, didn't know all the candidates and things like that. And I get this text at 11 at night said, We have a new lead pastor, he's from Ireland. And I'm going, That was not a criteria. <laughs> yes. Does he love Jesus? I don't know <laughs> why not. I mean, it should be. From then on, we <laughs> It's true. So, yeah, so I'm originally from Ireland and uh, moved here 30 years ago. So I sounded a little different back then. So, because I'm from Belfast Lake and up there, you know, talk a little bit like this, you know. Uh, and some of you may be familiar with, a, you know, a little bit more of a Dublin accent, you know. You know, because you watch the Lucky Charms commercials and all that kind of stuff, right? Which, by the way, we don't eat Lucky Charms and wash with Irish Spring, just so that you know. And by the way, corned beef and hash, while we're at it, or corned beef and cabbage, is an American invention. We don't actually eat that on St. Patrick's Day. Oh, I'm just yeah. telling you. I don't mean to swill up. I think that might point. have blown somebody's I, mind. Yeah, I think I just... It just, just blew my mind. Yeah. That's like, yeah. that's the most no, Irish true. I get. No, Irish honestly, we traditionally eat yeah. lasagna on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. But anyway, so anyway, we moved, we moved uh, or I moved here, I should say, uh, 30 years ago to go to Bible college, and uh, my wife and I met at Portland Bridal College. I mean, Bible <laughs> college. And uh, that was now 28 years ago that we met, because... Because wow. where are you from? Are you from Ireland? No. 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 <laughs> Sometimes people think that, and I go, where do you get that from my accent? There's nothing Irish about the yeah. way I talk. Um, I am just born and raised in Portland, in Northeast Portland in here. So I know we were asking at early service, how many are native Oregonians? I know we have a lot of transplants. Native Oregonians? Native Oregonians. How many are transplants like me? Yeah. We're one big happy family. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so like I said, I was just born and raised here at Gareth, and I did meet at Bible College, and then you want to go from there? Yeah. So met at Bible College, and uh, I actually painted for a bit when I graduated, because that's what you do when you graduate from Bible College. You go, what do I do with a theology degree, you know? <laughs> well, you paint houses. That's what you do. Uh, did that for a little bit, and then I, I got hired at a company called Surepower, which uh, Carl Smith, who's one of our elders... Uh, I worked for Carl. That was 25, 26 years ago. Crazy. And, uh, and so I worked there for seven years and then uh, went on staff at uh, City Bible Church, uh, Manor House now, and uh, was on staff there for seven, eight years, um, serving as a district pastor and elder there. And then Jenny and I moved to New York. And so we, about 15 years ago, moved to New York, took a little church in Albany, New York that had been pretty devastated. Um, by a previous pastor, and uh, we got a front row seat to watch God do amazing things at that church. So we were there for nine years, and the Lord led us back to Portland. We never in a million years thought we would be back in Portland. But how many of you know we make our plans, but God orders our steps, right? And so we came back. We were uh, back on staff at Manor House. Um, I was an executive pastor there over the last four years, part of their teaching team. And, uh, and then the Lord just began to stir in our hearts, actually about a year ago. How strange is that? Isn't that weird? 
just how the Lord works in different people at different times and different places, but he, he's the one that's knitting everything together, isn't he? And, uh, and so that was stirring in our hearts while things were happening here. And uh, we went on a journey uh, with our lead pastor and elders there, and there was a journey going on here. And God said, I have a plan that I'm working out. And he did. And so we're so honored to be here. Amen. And along the way, you had some kids. Something else was stirring in your hearts, right? We did. We had uh, a few. We had 12 uh, kids. 12 kids. No, you don't have 12. No, no, I think we, we didn't have a picture, have and you can introduce them to us. Yeah, there you go. Man, so this is our brood, our yeah. kidlins. Do we have an Irish kid name? I'm not sure. No. No. Okay. So um, our son, Aiden, there is in the middle, and he... Uh, he's only around for a couple more weeks because he's, he's 22. He graduated from Bible college this last spring and he is headed to New York City to go to design school in Manhattan. Yeah. So uh, he, we probably won't get to see him except for maybe at Christmas again, I think at this point. And then our daughter Sophie there in the green jacket, she's 19 and she's already gone off to American University in Washington, D.C. And she is... Um, currently actually in Ireland and visiting over in Oxford, England with um, Gareth's parents. So as she says, she's going back to the homeland. So that's where she's at. And then Madeline, our youngest there, who is actually down here. She is 17. She's going to be a senior at Clackamas. Let's embarrass her. Wave it up. Wave it, everybody. Mads is there. Woohoo! And she does go by Mads. That's her, her British nickname that we use for her. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, That's fantastic. Well, that kept me a little busy through That kept years, you busy during yeah. that time. Yeah. Well, they're great kids <laughs> on a great journey. Yeah. So. You, you probably can't believe that we have kids that are 22, 19, and 17 because we're so young looking, right? Yeah. Well, maybe one of us. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to ask you a handful of questions. Uh, and now, trust me, these are not deep questions. Like, the elders spent hours and hours asking the hard questions, like, did Adam have a belly button? And those kinds of yeah. things. So, um, Dark room, light lights, a lot <laughs> so of that. All the, yeah, the interrogators. These are more sort of fun with the hope for folks to get to know you a little yeah. bit. So the one I like to ask, Jesus taught in parables, love to teach in parables. As you read through the Bible, what are the, what's a favorite parable for each of you and, uh, and why? Yeah, well, my favorite parable is actually the prodigal son, and maybe not for the reason you might think. Um, there's a book that I read some years ago by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God, and in it, he looked at a different part of the story that we don't often think about as the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. And I think we see, oh, the prodigal went away, and he so needed God, he had to come back, and Father God, you know, welcomed back. But I think we forget, as, as I would say, I felt I was some years ago, really the elder brother, thinking I had always been the good girl, I had done everything right, that that, you know, I needed to do, please authority, please God. And somehow that was making me, you know, closer to God to do the right thing. And so I think the Lord really convicted me and brought me to a place to realize I was an elder brother. I thought that I had done everything right and it was my doing and striving that was working it out. But really that's where you come to realize I need the savior as much as the prodigal son that walked away. And I think it was just a beautiful thing. So that, that parable means a lot to me and it kind of really spoke to my life through the years. So I love it. Thank you. Gareth, what about you? Uh, I'm using the pearl of great price. So we know that story, you know, where a guy found a pearl in the field and went home and sold everything because of that one thing. And I think for all of us, I mean, I, I know for me, it's a constant reminder, what's the one thing that matters most? And, and for me, that's Jesus. And, uh, and so everything else, we surrender, we sacrifice, because uh, I think God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him. And there's many things in life that can satisfy, um, but I want Jesus uh, it's worth giving up everything to pursue him and follow him, you know? That's awesome. Well, those are great parables. Thank you so much for that. Um, 
All right, so you guys, as we mentioned, went through sort of a pretty extensive interview process, met lots of people and did it. And so I like the, this notion, what is it that you learned about Abundant Life Church through the interview process that gets you most excited about taking on the lead pastor role? Well, I, honestly, people. Um, and I want to say, this has been a journey. So this is March, April, I don't, I don't even remember. We have met so many amazing people, first and foremost, you have an eldership team that loves and cares for you as a family. And, and come on, give it up for the elders of this house. And uh, what an amazing group of spiritual people that love Jesus, that want to hear from him. Go be diligent, walk through the process. And uh, so it started there for us. But the, what's been so awesome is that then we meet staff, uh, you know, the staff of the church. Uh, with the exception of Dave, everyone's been amazing. Um, They're all so funny and fun. Kidding, I don't know where kidding, Dave yeah. went wrong. <laughs> but then just, just I mean, was it last week? We, I think we were at Vancouver and Sandy and here, and I think it was close to 400 people between the three nights that, what an amazing family you are. And, uh, and, and just the faithfulness, your faithfulness, uh, your steadfastness through what's been a crazy year for all of us, hasn't it? Uh, but you've remained faithful. You remain steadfast. You've continued to pursue God, and you've continued to be a church family. You know, uh, you realize there were f about 400 kids uh, between Sandy and here that got to hear about Jesus this week. Yeah. I mean, that's just amazing. That's where you guys are amazing. And so, just to, honestly, the faithfulness of people has just been absolutely amazing. That's super. Wonderful. All right, and I'm going to just ask some rapid fire. Rapid fire. Quick questions, not theological. What's the make and model of your very first cars? Mine was a 1985 Toyota Corolla. I have a, it's kind of a split answer because mine was, I'm embarrassed to say this, it was a teal Pontiac Grand Am. Ooh. But technically, I married Jenny before I got it. And because the two are one, then her 1985 Toyota Corolla became was my car. Was well. yeah, by right? the conductive process. It sounds better. All right, Mac or PC? Mac. Mac. Mac, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mac uh, lovers? Anybody still? Uh, dog people, cat people. Ooh, dog. We are dog. Yeah. How many dog people? Oh wow. Right. How many cat people? All right. If you were sitting next to a cat person, just put your hand on their shoulder and pray for them real quick. Yeah. Just, just. A little cat prayer for them. All right. Uh, how about ice cream? Favorite flavor of ice cream? Vanilla. Keep it plain, baby. Oh, my it's word. It's awesome. And there's no topping on that. It's just vanilla. Just Very vanilla. It's my it. word. For me, I love mint chocolate chip. Mint chocolate chip. Wonder. Go for mint chocolate chip. Wow. So funny, I had a question it's before like about... the loud crowd at the Timber Games. Is that this group over That's here yeah. at church oh, yeah. on no, they're, they're the mint chocolate chip people right over here. That's awesome. <laughs> I asked a question before about hot dogs, and it was plain. So do you put... Toppings on anything? Not much. Not no. much. Maybe no. ranch. Ranch dressing you adopted. Ranch. I have house. adopted ranch that's dressing. That's not a topping. Yeah. That's a All right. Um, that's, that's not a topping. I beg to oh, differ, Dave. What do you mean a topping? I know. It's a, it's a We've comment. got lots of time to work this out. Okay. Airplane, window, or aisle? Window. Window, which means Jenny sits on my lap. So it's, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Works out well for that me. child is not a very, uh, Somebody else is buying, as I have to clarify this, steak, chicken, or fish? Uh, steak. Steak. Let's okay. do steak. Okay. I know, if they're buying salmon, fish. Fish. All right. Like the salmon. That's a good fish. Good thing. Coke or Pepsi? Oh, Coke. Zero. Coke zero. All right. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, Google or Alexa? Ooh, Google. Google. Really? Yeah. You know why? I got to tell you why. Yeah. Because the Alexa in our house that's in our nest, like thermostat, huh? has creeped me out plenty of times and starts yeah. talking at the most inopportune times that yeah. just... Set me on edge. Go, she's listening all the time. So I, I just turned her off, and she's bye-bye. Never again. Shut it down. I'm, I'm Alexia. 
okay, yes or no, pineapple is an appropriate pizza topping. Absolutely. Yes. Pineapple on the pizza. Woohoo! Let's go. Ah, it's not. Who did that? Ask any Italians here that would put a yeah. pineapple on. Pine no, Dan's like, no, thank you. No, yeah, no, sorry. sorry. Julie, same thing. No. Purists. Yeah, good. All right, Purists. very good. All right, a couple more uh, kind of more serious questions, but I think they're fun ones to hear from you about. Are there things that you guys have learned from previous churches that you've served um, that you think uh, will help you serve well here at Abundant Life? So you've worked in you know, other churches, what yeah. do you think are those things yeah. that are going to help you serve well? Well, I, I've only been, this is, this is the third church I've been at. So, um, you know, I, I, I've learned some things, but I think probably the greatest lesson I've learned, I've learned a lot of things, to be honest with you, but I think the greatest, we moved to New York and we, we uh, got to serve at a church that the pastor had kind of flamed out morally and there was financial impropriety and all kinds of crazy stuff. But what we discovered was that God never forgets his covenant with his people, you know, and we got a nine-year front seat to just watch the Lord really restore. It was his church. And so um, our season, we'd raised up someone that was going to take the church. And, and uh, in that season, I remember wrestling with that because it's like we loved and laughed and bled and cried and been in the trenches together. Um, but I, I was reminded in that season, the Lord really taught me that um, this is his house, that we're his family. And, and that as a pastor, we're here to serve at his pleasure. He's, the, he's truly the good shepherd. And the Lord does what the Lord wills and he wants to do. And, uh, and I think just keeping that right alignment, um, that, I'm, that both Jenny and I are always the servant. We're always the one that are serving the Lord's purpose uh, in the family. And, and, you know, all of us have a part to play, right? You know, the Bible says that he sets the members in the body. We have a part to play, but you also have a part to play. And as we just find that place and space, we're all doing it. The Bible actually says we all grow into the maturity. Uh, and, and we become what we're supposed to become as we do that. You know, so I think that's probably been the greatest lesson for me. Well, you probably, yeah. I think you, you kind of alluded to it. Really, it's, it's servant leadership. Being a leader is first being a servant. Yeah. I know that's very topsy-turvy to our culture right now, but... That Jesus is our example of that. It's how he served and he, you know, washed feet and all yeah. that he did. So I think realizing at times God had to work on me when I might have been complaining like, oh, it's early morning. I got to get these chairs ready for kids ministry or something. And I think just um, realizing I'm here to serve first and foremost. And it is a privilege. And so that's our heart is that we would be servant leaders. No one ever arrives or doesn't have to, to give, you know, themselves. So that's fantastic. Those are great, great, great answers. Um, finally, just how will you guys, how will you measure our success as a church body as we move forward together? So how, we're going to move forward together now. We're in a new season. We're moving forward. How would you measure success? I love that word together, you know, uh, because it is about having one heart and one mind and us in this together. Uh, and, and that piece is so, so very important for us. But I think ultimately... Um, you know, we live in a, in a country, and America has so blessed me. I became a citizen 11, 12 years ago, whatever it is now. But the opportunities and all of those things that are afforded to us are amazing. Um, but, but I also recognize that in America, if we're not careful, we can measure success based on numbers, based on productivity, based on, you know, all of those kinds of metrics, you know. But I think the Bible actually defines it um, as us looking more and more like Jesus, you know, Paul in Colossians 1 and Galatians 4, repeatedly throughout his writings, he's constantly saying, I'm striving, I'm struggling, I'm working, I'm laboring to see Christ formed in you. And I, I honestly think that's the definition of success, that a year from now, two years, five years from now, do you as an individual and do we 
as a community of believers look more like Jesus. Uh, so that, that in Happy Valley and Sandy and Vancouver, in the communities that we're a part of, do they look at us as Abundant Life Church, this family, and say, man, they, they reflect Jesus. Uh, that's the, I think that's the greatest measure of success. And my hope and our hope for us as a family is that when people think about ALC, they think of Jesus, right? And uh, I think that's where we win. Well, you saw here that asking these guys questions is not tricky. They're so fun to be around, and uh, there's obviously much more, but we're going to cut it off here with that. But do take time to get to know these guys. I think you're going to find them super wonderful. And I think, uh, Gareth, we've been in this series that is called Looking at the the Fruits of the Spirit, and I think you've got a word for us on goodness today. So Jenny and I are going to say goodbye and leave you up on the stage. Can you help me thank Jenny? Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Awesome. Well, so great to be with you guys this morning. And, and uh, I know Dave earlier mentioned that we have, uh, you might be our guest this morning. This might be your first time. Uh, this is a special weekend because it's our first time too. And so I filled out a Connect card. I'm going to go get my gift afterwards. So if you are our guest this morning, my hope is that I get to see you out there. And uh, that would be our privilege. And uh, just love to do that. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we had... Uh, I think it was close to 400 kids between Sandy and this campus that came and heard about Jesus this week. How many of you think that's absolutely amazing? Come on, isn't God good? It was so fun to be here. We were out at Sandy, and uh, Vancouver's going to do it this week, so we're going to be praying for them. And it was so fun to be here and to meet all kinds of people that maybe hadn't been to church for a while, or families that had never been to church, but their kids were here, and then to start hearing stories of people giving their life to Christ. I want to just take a moment to honor those who served either before, during, or after, and I realize I'm running a risk because... Most of those people who probably served are probably in kids' church right now, right? Um, but if you served this week, can you just kind of slip your hand up and uh, let us acknowledge you? Come on. Thank you guys so much for serving. You're our heroes. And uh, we're so grateful uh, that, you guys got, that you guys served and uh, created that environment for people to encounter Jesus. So uh, as Dave mentioned, we have been in a series called Bearing and Being and Bearing. Being and Bearing. That's a bit of a tongue twister, right? Um, but I love the title, and I've been tracking along on video and watching every week. And, and how many of you have been enjoying this series? Hasn't it been great? And, and it's both been spiritual, but it's also been practical. Uh, and that's what I love about the Word of God, that the Word of God always goes to the heart, but the Word of God is transformative, right? As our hearts begin to change, as our hearts are uh, uh, surrendered to Jesus, we begin to change. And as we talked about earlier, we begin to look more like Jesus, which means that our behaviors begin to change. And sometimes in Christianity, we can kind of get that backwards, can't we? We're like, hey, you've got to behave a certain way so that they'll know you're a Christian, right? But the reality is, as the Lord gets the hold of our heart, as he begins to move upon us, we begin to change. And as we begin to change, we produce fruit, right? And so the root comes first, but the root in Jesus produces a certain kind of fruit. And that's really what this series has been about. It's been, we've been exploring what is it that Jesus and our relationship with Jesus is, is producing in us. And, and uh, we've been using this little letter that Paul wrote to uh, a church in Galatia. And, uh, and I love the fact when you stop to think about it, this is not just kind of some mystical word that was written. This was a real letter that was written to real people that had the same kinds of struggles that you and I do. 
And, and they were wrestling through what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to live out faith, what this relationship with Jesus would look like. And, and, and there were some challenges that they faced. In fact, if you know the background of the letter and why Paul wrote the letter, what had happened was that these people were getting saved. They were giving their life to Jesus and uh, they were just enjoying the grace and the freedom and the relationship that they had in Jesus. But there were this group of people called the Judaizers. Now, if we were in kids' church, you would all go, ooh. You know? So the Judaizers, they're the bad people, right? So they're coming in, and they're laying all of these rules and regulations, and, and they're saying, yes, Jesus has saved you, but you've got to do this and do this and do this and do this. And Paul writes this letter to address this very thing. In fact, if I could say it this way, the purpose of the letter was to let these Christians know that because they'd surrendered their heart, their life to Jesus, because they were in relationship with Jesus, they had a new operating system. There was a new way of doing life. And, and, and it was important, Paul wanted them to understand that this new life was generated out of a relationship that they had with Jesus. But it wasn't just that they had this private quiet, behind-the-scenes relationship with Jesus, this relationship with Jesus actually played out in their life. It played out in their relationships. It played out in the way that they related to their spouses and their kids and played out in the way they related to their coworkers and to their neighbors and to their classmates, that, that there was fruit that was being produced because of this relationship that they had with Jesus Christ. And I love this, and, and, and it says this, and, and if you've got your Bibles, we'll read along, it'll be on the screen, but I, I took a, a few verses out of Galatians chapter 5, and this is what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 24 and 25. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for, the, uh, for these are, all are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Skipping down to verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Isn't it amazing how many times Paul, just in those few verses, uses this relationship to God's Spirit? If you look at them, verse 16, he says, you walk by the Spirit, you're led by the Spirit in verse 18, you live by the Spirit in verse 25, and then he says, if you live by the Spirit, man, you're going to follow the promptings of the Spirit in life. And, and it's so easy in the world in which we live, because secular society uses data and, and statistics and emotions and anxiety and stresses, all of these things in the world in which we live are the measures, are the ways in which we live life or respond to life. But what Paul is telling us and what he's telling the Galatian church and what he's telling you and I is that you and I have a different operating system. We don't operate the way the world does. We don't produce the kind of fruit that the world does. And, and this is what Paul is saying when he uses this phrase, the flesh and the spirit, He's saying, look, you can be a Christian and you can choose to live in the flesh and you're going to produce a certain kind of fruit. It's the kind of fruit that's pretty destructive to yourself and to your relationships around you. Or you can be a person who lives in the spirit. You can have this new operating system where you live in the spirit and it produces this amazing fruit that transforms you, that blesses you, that blesses your family, that blesses your friends, that blesses your neighbors. It's a different kind of fruit that gets produced because you are in Christ. 
And so the backdrop to this series is that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a different operating system, don't we? And it produces something different in us. And this is what Paul is wanting us to understand. The Passion Translation, and I don't use it that often, but it's sometimes insightful just to read it. It actually uses this little word, craving. And what Paul is driving home is that each one of us have appetites, allegiances, cravings that lead us somewhere or produce something in us. And Paul is saying, because you are in Christ Jesus, he's given you new appetites, new cravings, new desires, and that root system produces a different kind of fruit. Now, over the last, whatever it's been, five, six weeks, we've taken a look at the different kinds of fruit that that produced. Um, how many of you have enjoyed kind of just learning, both spiritually, but also practically, right? Week one, we talked about, I think, joy, or sorry, love, then joy, peace, patience, endurance, kindness. How many of you have been practicing kindness this last week, right? You've been saying, Holy Spirit, help me. I need to be kind to that person at work that I just don't want to be kind to, Right? Uh, but, but, but that's what the Holy Spirit does because of our relationship with Jesus. It produces something different in us. And, and so this week, we want to take a look at goodness. And I'm going to try to do it quickly. I've got eight minutes, and then they shut the lights down and drag me off the stage. Um, so we're going to try and do this really quickly. But if I take a little bit longer, it's only because I love you, and I really want you to get God's word in your heart. Amen? And, and so uh, this week, we want to take a look at the fruit of goodness. It says in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Goodness. Now, if I was to say to you, do you want the good news or do you want the bad news? How many of you want the good news? Well, there's a few of you. Okay. How many of you want the bad news? Okay, there's one or two of you, and the rest of you are not awake. I don't know. <laughs> there's something inside of us that loves good news, don't we? In fact, this last year, if you remember, uh, this, who, who wants to remember this last year, right? It's been, goodness sake, challenging, right? It's been difficult. There's so much bad news, and I turn on the TV, and it's like, oh my goodness, right? But in the middle of all of that, John Krasinski, right? you know, the, that famous actor, right? How many of you saw some good news on the internet? I mean, it was the highest budget production ever done, right? But, but here he has, he sets up a couple of little iPhones, and he simply says, hey guys, I want to talk about good news. And 20 million people tuned in to watch it, right? And, and so there's something inside every single one of us that loves good news, our goodness. We, we want to be leaning towards the good. I want the good in life, right? And I think, it's a, I think it's an inbuilt human trait, because it is a reflection of who God is, because we recognize that God is good, and if you and I are created in his image, then it's natural that you and I would have a desire for good. So we're drawn to good. But what is goodness? And that's our challenge, isn't it? Because we live in a world that has a myriad of different definitions for goodness, don't we? There's all kinds of definitions for this is good or that's good. I actually saw a little video this week where somebody had compiled, they'd just gone through all the headlines in life, and uh, you know, kind of through newspapers and articles and web, you know, websites and all this kind of stuff. And they were just trying to show how contradictory or conflicted our definition of good is. Uh, because there were headlines that said, salt is good for you. How many of you would believe salt is good for you? 
Well, I should point you to an article over here that says salt is bad for you, right? Uh, coffee causes cancer, right? Coffee has health benefits, right? For some of us, maybe most of us in the room, coffee is a lifesaver, right? <laughs> I choose not to believe the negative report, right? But the point that I'm simply trying to make is that, that culture tries to define good and evil and tries to define what is right. And our definition of what is good can get so confusing, so complex, so convoluted. And I think it does that for a couple of reasons. I think number one is that everyone is trying to define what is good. And so we have subjective opinions, right, in our culture. We have a lot of subjective opinions about what is good, don't we? I mean, everybody's trying to define this is good or that's good or this is good or that's bad, you know? And what ends up happening is that, that we, we get all kinds of mixed signals about what is actually good. And of course, my question would be, well, who gets to decide what is good? Is it you? Is it me? Is it public figures? Is it government? Is it social media influencers? Like, who gets to decide what is good? Because in the world in which we live, there's all kinds of crazy definitions of what is good. I think the second reason why it can be so confusing is that, uh, that in our culture, we've really hollowed out the true meaning of goodness. Now, when I moved to America, and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a naturalized American citizen, so this was part of my training over the last 30 years, but 30 years ago when I moved to America, I was introduced to a distinctly American word, awesome. Awesome. Americans love awesome. I'm American, so I now love awesome. But the problem with the word awesome is that Taco Bell is awesome. And the Grand Canyon is awesome. They can't both be awesome. There have to be degrees of awesomeness in there. And so the point that I'm simply trying to make, that in America, and not just in America, I know I'm picking on America, and I'm American, so I'm picking on myself, but in America, in much of the Western world, we've hollowed out, in the English language, we've hollowed out the truest and deepest meaning for these kinds of words. You know, um, I was actually at a coffee shop yesterday, and I swiped my card, and then on the little screen comes up, you know, would you like to leave a tip? And if the service was good, it was 18%. If it was great, it was 25%. If it was out of this earth, give me 30%, right? And the point that I'm simply trying to make is that good was the bottom of the pile. I mean, good isn't even that good anymore. It's just good, right? I mean, good, better, best. You know, somebody should write a book, good to great. Oh, wait, that's already been done, right? I mean, it's like we've always got to strive for something better. And the point that I'm simply trying to make is that we've hollowed out the meaning of some of these words. And so because we have, we have all kinds of confusion and chaos in the world in which we live. But how many of you know that as followers of Jesus Christ, our definition of goodness doesn't come from the world in which we live? It doesn't come from the culture that we're a part of. It doesn't come from other people. Our definition of good comes from God. See, the Bible says in Psalm 119, it says this. It says that, uh, it does say it, and I do believe it says it. Here it is. It says this. God, good are you, Lord, and you do good. And once again, we see this throughout Scripture, that the Lord is always reminding us and showing us 
his goodness. In fact, the first attribute that we see of God in the Bible, or at least one of the first attributes, is his goodness. And if you remember, when God created, right, and on day one, he creates, and he gets to the end of the day, and what does he say? He steps back and he looks at what he created that day, and he says, it is good. Day two, it is day three, four, five, day six, he said, it's very good because he creates mankind. And, he, and the point that I'm simply trying to make is that, that God was the one who defined what was good. God was the one who defined goodness. And the reason why was because all that he created was an extension of who he was, right? It was, it was a reflection of his creativity and his goodness. And how many of you know that when God created, God created perfectly because he is perfect. And so God stepped back and was able to look at all that he created and said, it is good. But it's not just that God defines what is good. The Bible goes on to tell us, as we just read, that God actually does good. In fact, it says in James that every good gift comes from God. So God is the one who defines goodness, and God is the one who is good or does good, right? But the problem is that for most of us, or many of us in this room, we've encountered times in our life when, man, it doesn't feel so good, right? And what is it that we do in those moments? And so I want to leave you with just three really quick thoughts, and I'm going to rattle through them really, really quick. And the first one we've already kind of covered is that goodness is godliness. Goodness goodness is godliness. And godliness, by the way, is just a reflection of the character and nature of God. And because God is good, and because God does good, God is the one who defines what goodness is. He's the one, and to quote Maxwell House, some of you remember Maxwell House, they used to have a tagline that said, it's good to the last drop. Now, I debate that. I think there's a lot better coffee out there. But how many of you know God is good to the last drop? It's the nature and essence of who he is. He is good. But as always happens, because it happened in the garden with Adam and Eve, and you know, the serpent comes and he questions. He causes Adam and Eve to question the goodness of God. Are you sure God's really good? I think he's trying to hold something back from you. And you know the story. They take a bite of the apple, and it wasn't so much the apple as much as it was the disobedience because they weren't supposed to eat of that true tree. But what the enemy was trying to do was get them to question the goodness of God, that God is holding something back. But how many of you know God is good, God is perfect, God is holy, that God had a plan and a purpose, and that all that God had created was good. But the problem is that Adam and Eve tried to take control, the definition of good, into their own hands. And as a result, brokenness ruptured into the world in which we live. And so the first thing that we need to recognize when we think about goodness is that God's good, our goodness is godliness. So it's just us reflecting the character and nature of God. This is why it's so important to read the Gospels and the New Testament, because it says in Colossians that Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. And what you see is Jesus, when he walks on the earth, he says, hey, guys, 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 I know you're worried and stressed about all things, but look at the birds of the air. They don't stress and worry and be anxious about things. Their heavenly father takes care of them. And what Jesus is always doing is he's always pointing back to the goodness of God. And this is exactly what we've got to do. We've always got to be pointing people, pointing family members and friends and coworkers. We point them back to the goodness of God. 
Because God is good. Goodness is godliness. But the second thing that we recognize is that goodness is generosity. Goodness is generosity. And, and I realize that oftentimes we think of generosity as, oh, we must be talking about money now. Nope, we're not talking about money. We're talking about us living our life the way Jesus lived his life. Remember, most famous verse that most of us know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only son. Whoever believed in him would not die, but have everlasting life. And so we recognize that goodness is godliness, but goodness is also generosity. And in spite of the fact that Adam and Eve and all of humanity turned their back on God, took control for themselves, and said, we're going to define what good is. We're going to decide what's right and what's wrong. We're going to take control and take charge of life. God had every right to wipe us off the face of the planet, but he didn't because he loves us and he's generous toward us. And the, the example of God's generosity towards us is no better seen than in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the very son of God, leaves the splendor and majesty of heaven and he lives the life you and I could never live. He goes to the cross and takes the penalty and punishment for our sin, but then that couldn't even hold him. He rose from the grave three days later and he rises so that we can have life and relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus is our example of the goodness of God. There's no better example because God was generous toward us when he didn't need to be and he had no right, he didn't have to be, but he was generous toward us giving his son, Jesus, in our place. And so we recognize that if we're going to produce this kind of fruit, if my relationship with Jesus, my changed and transformed heart is producing something in me, it produces godliness it produces something that reflects the character and nature of God, but it also produces generosity. Now, all of that is good and wonderful and sounds great when life is good. Isn't that right? But what do you do when life doesn't go the way you think it's going to go? What do you do in those moments? What do you do when there's pain and suffering and challenges and difficulty? What do you do when the doctor calls with that report that, man, I didn't want to hear that? What do you do when you look at your checkbook and there's more month than money? What do you do when there's stress, when there's uh, fractured relationships with someone that's near and dear to you, but you can't figure out how to approach that? What is it that you do in those moments? Is God still good? Does goodness still exist? And this is what I love about God and how amazingly good he is, because goodness isn't just godliness. Goodness isn't just generosity. Goodness is redemptive. There's a little verse that says this, and, and you probably know it. It says it in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So that means that, because I, I love that word, it says God causes some things. God causes just the good things. No, what does it say? God causes everything or all things. That means that even in those seasons when life doesn't make sense, God's working something out, isn't he? And that's what, you know, for, for my, my own life, my own journey, about 16 years ago, my mother, uh, I was here in Portland. We hadn't moved to New York yet. I was about to. And I got one of those phone calls that you never want to get. And it was from my mom. And uh, she calls and says, hey, I got some news. Um, we just found out I've got breast cancer. And uh, we went on a journey together. And, um, 
And the good news is that 16 years later, she's now cancer-free, has a, had an amazing life and journey, and she's healthy and great, all because of God's grace and goodness. But she had to go through a journey. And that's true of life, isn't it? That sometimes, you know, we want the Lord just to take us up and out of those things, you know? Or Lord, can you at least take me around it? I'll go the long way around it. But sometimes the Lord is working through those things. And here's what, what you and I need to remember, is that because goodness is redemptive, God is working out a plan, isn't he? That God has got a plan and a purpose. And if you were to ask my mom, she would say, look, I would never wish it on anybody. I never want to go through it ever, ever again. But let me tell you this. I come out the other side of this test, this trial, this difficulty, this challenge. And I know that God loves me and cares for me. And, and I, that's what I love about the goodness of God. The goodness of God isn't just for good times. The goodness of God is for those difficult times. But so often it's like going back to the garden and the serpent who whispers in our ear and goes, is God really good? Do you think God's good? I mean, look at your circumstances. Look at what you're going through. But because you know God, because you know his goodness, and because you know goodness is godliness and goodness is generosity and goodness is redemptive, you can stand in those moments and declare, I know that God is good. I know that he's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So simply this, I, I wrote in my notes that the fruit of goodness is bringing back God's purpose in a culture of brokenness. Why? Because God's goodness is always redemptive. And as we close this morning, and I know I went a little bit over time, actually I went a lot over time, but you guys forgive me, okay? It's my first time and Dave took too much time. He just talks, he's such a talker. <laughs> Dave, forgive me later. <laughs> but honestly, as we're sitting here today, man, I recognize that, that, that God's goodness is real because God is good. And God wants you and I to live out that fruit of goodness. Well, how, how can we do that? Well, I think the first thing that we can do is to remember God's goodness, Right? Remember that God is always good, even in the painful, challenging, difficult times of life. Isn't that right? But the second thing is this, and I love this. It says this, and throughout the Psalms, it says, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. And not all the time when David wrote that, those Psalms were things going really, really well. In fact, when, when he wrote Psalm 23, where it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He wasn't in a good place. He was in a bad place because his son Absalom was chasing after him. So even in the good times or in the bad times, you and I can remember and be thankful for the goodness of God. And the last thing is simply this. We got to exercise goodness, don't we? That it, it's so easy for us to be negative and complain and, oh man, this is going wrong and this is going wrong and social media doesn't help any of that stuff, right? But, but God wants us not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. And so when we love and we're kind and we're patient and we're merciful, when we give of our time, our talent, our resource to serve others, to help others, what we're doing is we're extending the goodness of God to other people. And as we practice goodness, guess what happens to us? We become more and more like Jesus. And it's a muscle that gets exercised. 
And so this morning, just as we close, I, want, I would love for you just to close your eyes. I'm going to have the band come join me back on stage. And we're going to sing a song in a moment that just kind of reaffirms that we believe in the goodness of God. But if I could right now just have you just for a moment of just privacy, just to close your eyes. And I want us just to reflect upon um, just God's word this morning. That God's goodness is godliness. We reflect his character and nature. We reflect uh, who he is, his generosity. But it's also redemptive. And I realize in a room this size that, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about the ultimate sign of God's goodness is Jesus. That, that all of us come from places of brokenness because of sin, because of our own kind of will and self-will and selfishness. But Jesus was the one that said, hey, I have a new way of doing life. You've tried so hard in your own strength, but I've got a new way of doing life. And so we talked about, hey, this fruit of goodness can only come because of a relationship with Jesus. And so if that's you this morning, and maybe just with every eye closed and just, man, you were just reflecting upon Jesus this morning. Maybe there are some in this room and you've never had a relationship with Jesus. There are a bunch of people in the first service that, man, they just slipped their hand up to heaven and just said, man, I want, I want that relationship with Jesus. I want to be forgiven for my sins. I want to enter into a new life-giving relationship, the kind of relationship that produces good fruit, not bad fruit. Man, you've had enough of bad fruit. You want some good fruit. If that's you this morning, sometimes there's just this step of faith, just to, even just to slip our hand up to heaven and just say, man, that's me this morning. Every eye's closed and it's kind of a you and Jesus thing, but I'm gonna, I wanna pray in just a moment. And I just wanna include you in my prayer that, man, you're giving your life to Jesus this morning. You want that relationship with him. If that's you this morning, would you be bold enough, brave enough, just to slip your hand up to heaven, just to say, Jesus, that's me. I want that relationship. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on. Jesus, we just come before you this morning, and we're so grateful that, that Jesus, you came to give us life. The very name of our church is Abundant life church we recognize that the life you came to give us lord jesus is an abundant life it's a life that lord jesus yeah it doesn't have it's not without challenge and difficulty but there's a freedom that comes because we are forgiven for our sins so for lord those who just raised their hands this morning just acknowledging that lord they're asking you to forgive them of their sin they're inviting you lord into their heart their life into relationship that lord today you're swinging open a door of life that they can walk with you in a new way. There's others in the room this morning, and I realize that, man, even as I talked about challenges and difficulties that are going on in life, that, man, you're just like, I'm facing some of that stuff. Some of it might be health stuff. There might be some relational friction. Some of you are challenged by some financial situations that are going on in life. And I think, just as we talked about this morning, Jesus wants to walk with you. He wants to walk through that with you and you're gonna see the goodness of God on the other side because the Bible says that surely goodness and mercy will not just follow you, it pursues you. And even in the midst of those challenging and difficult times, the Lord wants to walk with you. The Lord wants to sustain you. The Lord will be good to you. Man, if that's you this morning, would you just 
Slip your hand up and say, that's me. I want, I want God's goodness. I need a new perspective. I need his help and the challenge and the circumstance that I'm facing. If that's you this morning, would you just slip your hand up so that I can just pray with you? on hands all over. Jesus, we just acknowledge this morning that you are good. Lord, the word would tell us that you're bad, that you don't care, that you're distant, that you're not personal, you're not involved. But Lord Jesus, you walk with us even though we go through the valley of the shadow of death. We'll fear no evil. Why? Because your rod and your staff are with us. Because surely goodness and mercy will pursue us all the days of our life. And so Lord, this morning, we just acknowledge your goodness. Lord, for those that are going through challenging times, difficult times, Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you're working all things together for their good. That, Lord, there's a testimony that's coming of your goodness. And we just simply say thank you that you are good. And because you are good, Lord, you're transforming us and changing us. Help us practice your goodness this week as we go about our life. And I want us to stand together, and we're going to sing this song, Goodness of God, just as a response to the goodness of Jesus. Amen? God bless you guys.